This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Uh, My name is Kevin, and I have the unique privilege this morning of being the only person in here who at 10 o'clock will get to look and see who comes in late without looking awkwardly around my corner, Uh, which is what all of you are going to do at 10 o'clock when people start creeping in. And that's okay. I won't take it personally. They might. So just be aware, uh, be discreet. God gave you this whole corner so you can just kind of glance without looking too awkward. Uh, When you walked in this morning, you should not have received a program because the programs are in the seats in front of you or they are sitting, uh, we're sitting where you are sitting now when you came in. Uh, Check it out. There's some great stuff in there. When it says start here, that's where you'll want to start. That's your communication card that will let you know a little bit um, about how to Uh, what to expect this morning, what the service is going to look like. Uh, We've already gone through some of that. It's also our way to be praying for you, to be connecting with you. So fill out that connection card, that communication card, and you'll turn it in later as the baskets get passed with the offering. Uh, Also, there are some notes in there that tell you a little bit about who the church is and what we like to do, Uh, some information about upcoming events. One that I want to highlight for you, uh, the day after Easter, we have a team leaving Uh, to go to Mexico to build a house, and that team is looking to take uh, sandals, flip-flops, down to Mexico to give to uh, adults, kids, the community. So next Sunday, bring flip-flops with you and be ready to leave them here because those are not for you. They're for the kids or the adults, uh, but not you. So bring extra sandals or don't. Just drop them off. That's fine. We'll have a barefoot revolution next week. Um, (laughs) Yeah, keep laughing. I'm preaching next week too, so uh, you've been warned. Uh, You'll notice on your program, there's not a title for this uh, series. Uh, There's a reason for that. We're talking about something that's a little um, uh, uncomfortable, maybe. makes us squirm in our seats. I think as you look on the stage behind you, you know what we're talking about. We're talking about St. Patrick's Day, uh, obviously. So, Uh, For the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about St. Patrick's Day. No, that's not true. Uh, I'm actually going to let this guy up on the screen tell you a little bit about what we'll be talking about for the next three weeks. So hit it, tech team. How you doing? How you doing? You know, I'm going to open a can of worms with this one, I think. All right? This one here is the big enchilada, amigos. All right? So you have to forgive me in advance if, if this stings a little. You're going, to have to, you're going to have to cut me a little slack if this convicts or challenges you because I'd never want to do that. No, what I'm about to talk about is things people don't like to talk about. It goes up there with religion and politics. It's one of those things you don't talk about if all you want to do is make friends. No, this one here, this is a little different because the love of this thing, the love of it, you know what I'm saying, is the root of all kinds of evil. But on the other hand, without it, you can't do much good, right? You cracked the code yet? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah, money. M-O-N-E-Y. Yeah, the almighty dollar, the cash, the cabbage, the greenbacks, the gravy, the loot, the moolah, whatever you want to call it. You know what I'm saying? I got my own personal favorite, the dead presidents. The higher number on the dollar bill, the goofier the president, the more hands want to touch it. Go figure. You know what? We ask a lot of questions about these presidential papers, don't we? Yeah, how are we going to spend it? How am I going to use it? My own personal favorite? Huh? Huh? How am I going to act like I don't have any so my relatives don't bother me anymore? Or how am I going to miss the offering plate every time it passes by? And of course, the dominant Republican question, how am I going to invest and how do I keep it from the IRS? Yeah, money. The big, big question. But there's one question we always leave out. At least I do. Whose is it? 
I mean, whose money is it really? That is the million-dollar question, pardon the pun, right? I know some might say, hey, it's my money because I work hard with these hands. Yeah? Who gave you the hands, buddy? All right, you're smarter than some who gave you the brains. You're driven who gave you the ambition. All right, I know you can arrange a lot of things on your own, but you can't tell me you arranged your birthplace, who your parents were, who your friends are going to be, what schools you went to, the technology that was going to be there, the people that came before you to pave the way, the people are here now to lighten the load. Ah, you didn't arrange that, did you? Should I go on? No, 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 I don't think so. You know, I suppose all I'm trying to say is this, people. Right? I got a big wake-up call last year. I got my kid an Xbox 360. I threw it on the floor. Boom, that's yours. I got every possible imaginable accessory that there is. Everyone you can think of, the cordless, wireless, bang-bang, the flip-flop, the yip-yap, everything you could possibly think of. Even threw in an HD plasma so everybody could see it beautifully. A couple of dozen games and said, hey, we're off to a good start. One day I come home and I said, hey, son, you mind if I play the game? You're only sitting there over in the corner. Maybe Dad can give it a shot. You know what he says to me? No, that's mine. Wait your turn. Needless to say, I did a 180 on the 360. And now that sucker sits comfortably in my own personal home theater. And I'm the only one with the key. You know why? Because everything in that baby is mine. All right, that just fires me up. I don't know. I like that guy. I'm glad he's not my dad. Uh, because he would have been like 12 when he had me. And that would be awkward. Uh... So I'm glad. See, I'm glad we're laughing because this is one of those topics that could kind of get a little tense, you know, kind of make us squirm in our seats a little bit, make us a little uncomfortable. And we're doing three weeks and I'm going to be talking to you for three weeks uh, about God's heart for you, about God's love for you, about God's love for creation, about God, what's, what God wants us to do with uh, our stuff and our money. And, and it goes way beyond uh, you know, give this much and you're good with God. See, that's, that's just the very surface of it. We're talking about the heart. Where is my heart? What does my money have to say about my heart? And, and the way that I experience God and, and who is God and what does God want to do uh, in my life? You see, money is one of those things that we spend a lot of time thinking about outside of church, right? Uh, it dominates our time. We work um, partially because we like what we do, partially because we need to work to survive, to make money. Uh, it dominates our relationships uh, with our spouse, with our kids, with our friends. Uh, it's, you know, it's all about the Benjamins, as the rap song puts it. Or if you're in high school or college, it's all about the Lincolns or the Washingtons, right? It's all about the money, the money, the money. And we can't separate that from spirituality, from God. The thing that we spend our time, our energy, our thoughts, our worries on is a deeply spiritual issue. And so we need to ask God what he says about all this stuff. We spent the last number of weeks in a series called Unchained, trying to figure out what it means to, to soar uh, like the bird up in the uh, auditorium, uh, trying to get out and be free, uh, trying to be unchained from the things that would weigh us down in life. And we're spending three weeks on money because money is arguably the biggest weight, the biggest chain that many of us carry that keeps us from freedom, from true life. So I'm going to pray that God would open us up, uh, and then we're going to dive right in. Lord, would you be speaking to us? Would you prepare us for what you have uh, for this community at this time? Would you show us what it means to be free from uh, the tangles of money? Would you show us what it means over these next number of weeks to uh, to engage with you around the issues that keep us so focused outside of this room uh, because we know that you are there as much as you are here. 
God, would you keep us open? Would you keep us uh, soft to the things that you have? Help us to not close off or clam up. As we get uncomfortable, would you remind us that uh, the reality is uh, true community is not the absence of comfortability, Lord, but it's going through uncomfortable situations together, uh, engaging with them together and coming out on the other end in unity together. So would you speak to us now, Lord? Because if you don't, there's really no reason for us to be here. Amen. Amen. There's this story that dominates the Bible. It starts in Exodus. It's a story of slavery. God's people, the Israelites, are forced into slavery in Egypt. For 400 years, they they work and they toil and they're beaten and they're abused. I'm sure you saw the Prince of Egypt when it came out. That was the cartoon version. This was not a cartoon. This was real. It was generations after generation after generation of hard labor subject to the Egyptians, subject to their, their gods and their ways and their rituals. And after some 400 years, God released them from slavery. God did signs and wonders and miracles, and he got them out of slavery. And, and then he says, I want you to have a, a land that is, that is good and rich and, and will provide for you. I want to be your God. I want to be in relationship with you. I want to know and to be known. I want you to experience all that life has to offer. Purpose, passion, vision. And I'm going to do these things with you. And it sounds like a great promise. We think, wow, that's amazing. I want that. But the Egyptians do, or the the Israelites do something really odd. Uh, They say, we want to go back to slavery. Things are tough out here on our own. We don't know if we can be out here with you. We don't know if we can trust you. Look at what happens in Numbers chapter 14. It's going to be up on the screen. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses. Moses was their leader, as was Aaron. Grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in the desert, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, this is thousands upon thousands of people, they said, we should choose another leader and go back to Egypt. You see, Egypt was a known commodity for these people. Even though it was horrible and hard, even though they were slaves, Uh, Even though they were forced to work and and were beaten, at least they knew what they could expect. And this life with God that God was inviting them into was not known. It was not a known commodity. Sure, it promised freedom. Sure, it promised excitement and adventure and passion and purpose. But it wasn't known. And when times got tough and the people got scared, they said, we're going to turn back to slavery. We can't handle freedom. We need to go back to where we can be controlled. And I have a question for you this morning Could money be your Egypt? Could money be the thing that turns us back to slavery? When Christ has called us to freedom, we just celebrated communion, the reality that God has freed us from the chains of this world, freed us from the things that weigh us down. But could money be the thing that we turn to when times get tough, when it's uncertain, when we need security, when we need to feel better about ourselves? Could stuff be that thing that we go to instead of going to God? And could we unintentionally be going back in to slavery when Jesus has called us to freedom? That's the million-dollar question, pun absolutely intended. Uh, Is money keeping 
you in slavery when God wants you to live in freedom. Money keeps a lot of people in slavery today. An ABC poll recently said that uh, the average baby boomer only has $1,000 saved up in retirement, which is scary when you think about the fact that 7,000 boomers are retiring every day. Gen Xers aren't a whole lot better. 50% of them report feeling overwhelmed with debt and don't see any way to pay it off in their lifetime. Uh, One statistic said that a quarter of all Gen Xers are spending $16,000 a year more than they actually make on credit, hoping that it will come back somehow. Here's another scary stat. 64% of couples in the survey said that their main arguments stemmed from money issues when half of marriages end in divorce and 64% of fights and arguments are happening around money, money is enslaving us and Christians are not immune to it. Even though God offers freedom, we turn back to slavery and I think it breaks God's heart. And that's what I want to talk about today. What does it mean to live in freedom? What does it mean to not break God's heart? I grew up with dogs my whole life. Uh, We had some big dogs. We had some medium-sized dogs. I love dogs. Uh, So when I got married, uh, I started uh, subtly, in the ever-so-subtle way that I do, um, communicating to my wife that I would like a dog. Uh, And we live in a little apartment at the time, and so we would go and we'd look at shelters and and we'd look for dogs, and I knew if she found one, she's she's an emotional gal, and if she saw one that was cute, she would just take it, even though she said she didn't want one. And so I'd say, let's just go look. Let's just go look around. We have nothing to do today, you know. Uh, Subtle. I'm subtle. Um, And one day we found Chloe. Chloe was in a cage. Chloe's a little chihuahua. She weighed four pounds then. She weighs seven pounds now. Uh, she was shaken in the corner, and uh, she went and jumped up in my lap and started licking us, and that was it. Maria was sold. We got Chloe that day. Uh, and I like Chloe. Chloe's a good dog. She's a small dog. She licks a lot. The licking was cute in the pound. It's not so cute three years later. Um, but she does. But, but she's, she's a good dog for our, our little space. I mean, it works well. Um, but I came up against an issue the other day. Uh, I was out in front of our—we have a condo that we rent now, and in front of that there's a little— maybe six by ten area of grass where I poop Chloe. And, and so I was outside taking her to the— re- you can say it in church, it's okay. Uh, taking her to the restroom uh, to do her business. And, uh, and she's doing her business. And uh, my neighbor comes with his dog. My neighbor has a Great Dane. <laughs> it's a gorgeous Great Dane. It's like this gray Great Dane with blue eyes and— uh, and, and Chloe comes up about to its ankle, you know, and, and so, uh, and they live in a condo too, you know, but they have a Great Dane. And so uh, I, I had this internal struggle within me, right? You know what I'm talking about. I have a dog, and he has a dog, right? I have a dog, but I want a bigger dog. I want more dog, Right? <laughs> And I begin to ask the question, if my, dog, if my neighbor has a bigger dog than I have a dog, does that invalidate the size of my dog, right? Do I need to get a bigger dog to keep up with my neighbor's dog? Because my dog is very small and his dog is very big. And so I had this struggle inside of me. How much dog is enough dog for one man? That's the question we have to ask when it comes to money and stuff. How much is enough? Amen. 
Amen. How much dog is enough dog for you? If we don't answer this question, uh, we find ourselves slaves to money. And I'm not even talking about debt, although debt is a huge part of it. I'm talking about just being slaves to more, right? Always wanting more, always needing more, never knowing how much is enough. And Jesus speaks directly into the issue of more. And that's what we're going to look at today is uh, Jesus teaching in Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Jesus is talking to a, a couple thousand people at this point. And these two brothers come up to him and they have a bit of an issue. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to, to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me judge and arbiter between you? Which, by the way, if Jesus can start out a sentence by man, I think that's pretty awesome. Like, man, uh, maybe he didn't say it like that. Maybe that's not the exact translation, but like, man, who appointed me judge and arbiter between you? He then said to them, and I believe that them is the larger community listening to this, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. A man's life does not consist of his stuff. Anyone who's been through the loss of a loved one knows that it's hard to deal with an inheritance, right? Some of us are thinking, Jesus, just answer the question. Tell him who gets what and how much. That'd be easier for us because when it comes to inheritance, it brings up all sorts of feelings inside of us that we don't want to deal with while we're grieving the loss of a loved one. But Jesus doesn't answer the question. He doesn't answer. He doesn't say you get this and you get that, which is odd because there was an answer to that question. Deuteronomy 21.17 gave a clear answer to that question. It said the older brother would get double what the younger brother got. So there's a clear answer. Jesus could just give the answer. So we have to ask ourselves, why doesn't he just answer the question? The community that's listening, these thousands of people, would be wondering, why doesn't he just tell them? He knows the law. He's smart. He's a rabbi. He's wise beyond uh, anything we've ever experienced. Why doesn't he just answer the question? Does he not know? But Jesus skips past that question. He goes to the heart that's causing the question. He says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. He talks about greed. He talks about stuff. He talks about more and more and more. Verse 16 says he told them a parable, which is like a story uh, with a, a deep meaning or a truth. He says, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. So he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns. I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, self, you have plenty of good things laid up for you for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, be merry. Now I know that many of us have been hit by the recession. Some of us really hard. And I don't want to minimize your experience today by talking about just more and more stuff. Because for some of you, that's not even close to your reality. But we do need to look at the core of what Jesus is saying because it's not necessarily about how much he has. This question is for all of us. The guy never stops to ask the question, how much do I really need? You see, rich people can be slaves to money and stuff and more just as easily as poor people can be slaves to money, and stuff, and more. It's an issue of the human heart. Our hearts are 
longing for something. And if we don't experience that something in God, who says he wants to be the one to fill our hearts, to, to satisfy us. Uh, uh, the author of the book of Psalms, or, or one of the Psalms says, as the deer pants for the water, my soul, it longs for you. God wants to be the one that we long for, but if our hearts are not longing for God, if we're not experiencing God fully, we just keep looking for more and more and more things to fill our hearts. And we'll look at the outcome of that in a second. When he fills the storehouses up, our guess is that he would say, well, I've got enough stuff now. I filled absolutely storehouses full of grain. That is a lot of grain. But he doesn't. He says, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my storehouses, and I'll build bigger storehouses so I can store even more grain. And before we say this guy's crazy, which he might be, before we say he's crazy, though, think about this. Did you ever buy something because it looked really fun and you wanted to use it? But then in order to use it, you had to go on vacation to use it because it's this really cool thing that needs to be taken on vacation. And so we take this, uh, this thing on vacation, and it's fun. But the reality is we got this stuff now. We need to store it somewhere, right? So we pack it in the garage, um, which, by the way, I walked into my garage the other day, and a weird thought hit me. My garage is like a house for my stuff. Like I have a house for my family, and then I have a whole other house just for my stuff. That's an odd reality, isn't it, that we live in? That we have whole houses for our stuff? But we do, right? So we pack our garage full of stuff, and then we outgrow our garage. We say, my house is too small. I need to get a bigger house because I don't have room for my family when we really don't have room for our stuff. And so we, we find a house that's just above our budget, uh, but we go for it anyway uh, because we're, we assume that it'll be okay. And all of a sudden, we're trapped in a mortgage we can't afford. Uh, And so we can't go on vacation to use our stuff because we don't have any extra money, uh, right? And we're just, we're at home. We're trying to figure out how we're going to pay for all of our stuff. And all of a sudden, we have become slaves to our stuff, slaves to our money. We've turned back to slavery when Christ wants us to live in freedom. That's how easily money can take us in all sorts of different directions. Verse 20. God said to the man, you fool, which by the way was not a nice thing to say. You don't want God to call you a fool. That's just not a phrase you want to hear from God, but he does. He says, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get all that you've prepared for yourself? Jesus says, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. We're going to spend some time next week talking about generosity, what it means to have a heart that is generous towards people, towards God. But I don't want to miss what he's saying here. The man spent his whole life assuming that more would make him better, would make him happier, would make him more complete. But more did not make him happier, better, more complete. On the day of his death, when God demanded his life from him, it turned out that more had just become his God. Money, stuff had snuck in and become his God, the thing that he spent all his time longing for, looking for, trying to achieve. If we aren't content with the things that we have, we begin to trade the freedom of Christ for the slavery of greed, and it breaks Jesus' heart. If we aren't content with the things that we have, if we always want more and more and more, it's called greed, friends. That's the name for it. We like to call it a lot of things, but really it's greed. That's just what it is, and it will become our God, and Jesus does not want 
greed, and money, and stuff to become your gods. Verse 22, then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, about what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, the body more than clothes. Verse 24, consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them, and how much more valuable are you than a bird? Which is an excellent question. The answer is you're a lot more valuable than a bird, just so you know. Uh, Who of you, by worrying, can add a single day to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, since you can't do this very little thing like adding a day to your life by worrying, um, why worry about the rest? Jesus has an awesome sense of humor, and I'm pretty sure that someday he and I are going to tell jokes together. Uh, It's a personal belief of mine. Uh, Look what he says. Since you can't do this very little thing like adding time to your life just by thinking about it, like, no, we can't. You're right, Jesus. Thank you for that. Thank you for pointing that out to us. What he's saying is, I actually can add days to your life just by thinking about it, because I'm God and you're not. So listen to what I have to say, because I'm smarter than you. Um, <laughs> let's call it like it is, team. Let's call it like it is. Uh, it says, why worry about it? Why worry about all that stuff? Verse 27, consider the lilies, how they grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Solomon was one of the richest people in the world, arguably the richest person. Uh, If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith, do not set your heart on what to eat or drink, and don't worry about it. The pagan world, the world that does not know God, runs after these things. But your Father knows that you need them. Seek first his kingdom, and all these things will be given to you. It says the world that does not know God runs and runs and runs after what they will eat, what they will drink, what they will wear, more and more stuff. But you know God. You know that God loves you, that he cares about you, that he will take care of you. Is there a restlessness in you that keeps you thinking about what you're going to get next? Food, clothes, um, things cars, houses, jobs, education. Is there something in you that's always looking to what's next to kind of slow me down, to calm me down? If there is, then Jesus is saying, God feeds crows. He clothes flowers in beauty, and you are more valuable than birds and flowers. Why are you trying to find yourself in these things? Why are you trying to find yourself in more stuff? And this is never more real than for us, right, in our country, because we have a lot of stuff. We have a lot of stuff. Uh, An author named Shane uh, once said, he has a last name, by the way, but it's just cooler to use first names, I think. We're more personal that way. Uh, (laughs) Shane Claiborne once said, um, uh, what did he say? He said, God did not create a world that has too many people and too little stuff. Think about that. God did not create a world that has too many people and too little stuff. People are not the mistake, right? We might be a little overpopulated in the world, but that didn't catch God by surprise. God knows. He didn't create a world with too many people and too little stuff, which means that some people have too much stuff and other people don't have any stuff, and that's an issue that Jesus does not uh, want for us. And so the question becomes, how do we grow in our contentment? How do we become more content people? How do we become um, more okay with the amount of stuff that we have? Or maybe even, uh, how do we become people who live simply, who actually let go of some of our stuff that we have so that others could have a little more? 
because we have a little less. Um, Jesus doesn't directly answer that question in this passage of Scripture. I love the way Jesus ends this passage of Scripture. He says, basically, give everything to the poor and follow God. That's his big answer. So, um, but that's not going to help us a whole lot, um, because I don't think we would do it. Let's be honest. If I said, just go give everything away, and we'll all come back here, and we'll just live here at the church, uh, that probably would not help us too much. But that's what Jesus says. Give it to the poor. Trust God. He'll take care of it. I want to give a couple thoughts from other areas in Scripture about how we can grow in our contentment towards God. The first thing we need to do is pray for content hearts. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, Which of you, if his son asks for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, would give him a snake? Which, by the way, would be a horrible joke to play on your kids, so don't do it. Um, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Jesus just calls out human nature. He says, you're evil. We all have some evil in us. If everyone knew the things that we were thinking all the time, they wouldn't like us very much. Um, But he says, if you, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts, think how much more God will give good gifts to him who asks. And friends, contentment is a gift that God wants to give you. So ask him for it. Every day, say, God, would you be growing my contentment with what I have? He'll honor that prayer. He'll meet you in that. He will give you contentment. The second thing we can do is have an attitude of gratitude, which I know is kind of rhymy and cheesy, and I apologize for that. I debated whether or not to say attitude of gratitude or just be gracious, you know, whatever, but it rhymes, and you'll remember it, so we're going to go with that. Have an attitude of gratitude. Look what uh, James says in chapter 1, verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. We need to be thankful for what we have, because the scripture tells us that it comes from God. Do you spend time thanking God every day for the things that you have? It will help you in your contentment because you won't always want more because we'll be thankful for what he has already given to us. So I'd invite you to pray every day. One, asking God to grow your contentment. Two, thanking God for what he has already given you. Three, I think we need to protect ourselves from the onslaught of more. Uh, Did you know that in the average 30-minute television program, 10 minutes of that is devoted to commercials. 10 out of 30. And I have not seen a commercial yet that says, you are perfect just the way you are. You do not need what I'm selling you. Have you seen that commercial? I have not seen that commercial yet. I'm waiting though. I keep watching TV to hope that that commercial comes up. That's not true. I watch TV because I like it. But (laughs) imagine, imagine what it would look like if we were not bombarded with images and ads telling us that we need this, we need that, we got to eat this, we got to wear that, we got to have this, we got to have that, then we'll be happy. Imagine what would happen if we protected our eyes from the onslaught of more. If we just turned off our TV or fast-forwarded through our commercials, you have TiVo now, you can do that. Um, I think it would help us to not always want more. At the very least, I invite you, when you're watching TV, when you're listening to the radio, and you hear a commercial come on, and that something in you just naturally says, I want that, I need that, ask yourself the question, do I really need that? Will that make me happy? Is that the one thing? If that's the one thing that'll make you happy, then get it. Absolutely, right? Absolutely. But if it's not the one thing that'll really, truly give you happiness in life, maybe you just don't need it, and that's okay. It's okay to wear the same shirt for three years in a row. I told my wife I was going to wear this shirt three weeks in a row preaching, And she freaked out. 
And I don't know if I'm going to do it or not. We'll see what happens next week. Stay tuned. Um, it's okay, though. We don't have to have a new church outfit every Sunday, right? It's okay. I told my grandmother I was going to wear sandals next week to church, and she freaked out. I'm kind of freaking out my whole family right now. Um, but that's okay. It's okay to not have the newest, the best, all the time. So protect yourself. I spent uh, a number of years not watching television at my house because we didn't have cable and we didn't want to pay for it. And it was nice. And in that time, I took a one-year clothing freeze because I had enough clothes. And uh, at the end of that year, I started shopping at thrift stores, which is how I grew in my affinity for cardigans. So if you ever see me wearing cardigans, it comes from the thrift stores because I love— because all the old guys, they give away their cardigans at thrift stores, and then I just take them, and they're awesome. Um, but it was so nice not watching TV during that one year, right? Because I wasn't worried about the fashions. I wasn't worried about what I wasn't getting, wasn't doing. I was okay with being me, and God was forming in that uh, a desire just to fully be who he created me to be. And I think God wants to form that in us as we say no to stuff. He wants to form in us an identity that is truly and deeply rooted in him. And the last thing I think we need to do is have discipline. Not a fun word. Fun when it's with our kids, not so much when it's with us. Um, Set a budget, friends. Whether you are close to debt or far from it, a budget will help you realize where we're spending our money. It will give us an idea of what's going where, which is really helpful because I think we'll see some things that are just um, off. We don't need to spend $500 uh, on, I don't know, Socks. That's not something we need to spend $500 on. We can shrink our budget down. If you don't know how to make a budget, uh, I put a uh, website on your notes. You can go look at it. It's Quicken. Uh, it will help you set a budget. If you're at a place where you're trying to figure out um, what it means to manage your money more wisely, uh, there's a, a money management course called Financial Peace University. The website's on your notes as well. Uh, we would like to go through that as a church at some point. It's a great program. Uh, and we have not gotten there yet, but we would like to. But you do not need to wait for the church to do it. You can just go to the website. Look at that. It's up there. Look at that guy. Uh, he gives me hope that bald men, you know, bald men is like, cool, I want to be bald someday and have a goatee. Again, freaking my wife out. Um, but Dave Ramsey, uh, go look at it. And then once you set your budget, once God places some of these things in you, stick to it. Not for like a week or a month or even a year, but stick to it for the long haul. Uh, and budget in some space for generosity, because that's what we're going to talk about next week. Bottom line is God loves you more than you can imagine, more than you know. God released you from slavery when you came into a relationship with him. He wants you to have freedom. He wants you to have passion. He wants you to have purpose. He does not want you to be chained down by the weight of greed and more and more and more stuff. He wants you to be content with what you have. If we don't lock down contentment as the base level, the things we talk about for the next two weeks will not even soak in. They will skim right off the top. So you got to hear it. Contentment is God's heart for you. Now I have some uh, invitations for you, depending on where you're at in this journey. Uh, If you are not in a relationship with God, if you've never come into a passionate, deep, personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you cannot, uh, in my experience, you cannot experience that contentment. Because you're, you're always going to be longing for something. The Bible says we are created to be in relationship with God. And when we are not in relationship with God, our hearts, our souls are longing for something. 
There's a restlessness in us, and so we, we put things in to try to fill that, but none of them gives the lasting fulfillment that Jesus gives. And so if you've never come into a relationship with Jesus, I would invite you, experience a deep, passionate relationship with him. Invite him to come and to lead you and guide you in life and to, to help you um, know and, and be known by the creator who loves you, who cares about you, who wants to be everything in your life. And the other invitation is for those of us who have followed Jesus. Uh, this invitation is probably the harder one for us. If you're here today and you're not a Christian and you're hearing this, I'm guessing you're thinking, wow, that's amazing. Of course I want to be in a relationship with God. Who wouldn't want to do that? Um, the rest of us, though, it's a little harder. We've been following Jesus for a while, and the invitation for us is to not check out for the next couple weeks. The invitation for us is to open up this area of our lives to Jesus. Uh, I see our lives kind of as in compartments sometimes, and we like to give Jesus certain rooms, certain compartments. Money is a huge one, and oftentimes it's the last one that we like to let go of. So I invite you, let go of it. If the idea of talking about money in church freaks you out, if the first thing you think is they're just after my money so I don't have to listen, maybe God wants to do something in you. Maybe God doesn't want you to miss this, doesn't want you to give the easy checkout, but really wants you to engage with him around the issues of your finances because it is an issue of slavery, and he wants you to live in freedom. So I'm going to pray now. Uh, and I'm going to give some space for you to do some business with God in the, in the quiet, in the silence. Uh, if you've never come into a relationship with God, you could pray something in this time like, God, I uh, believe that you uh, came in Jesus to uh, bring me into a relationship with you. I believe that you love me and you know me, and I want to follow you in life. Uh, something as simple as that. And I'd like you to mark on your response card that you want more information about becoming a Christian so I can follow up with you this week. Uh, if you're here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus and you need to do some business with him, I'm going to give you some space to do that. So join me and let's pray. Lord, would you grow in us an ability to be content with who we are, with what we have, with who you've created us to be, to find our fulfillment in you. Would you help us to know you and to be known by you, the one who created us, who knows us, who loves us, who wants us to have a life of passion, of purpose, of freedom. Would you help us to walk away from the things that would enslave us and bring us down and walk towards you? In this moment, God, would you be bringing up anything that you'd want us to uh, release over to you? Anything that you want us to give to you as we come into this next number of weeks talking about finances, money, uh, and the freedom that you have for us in that. So I ask you, God, would you speak to us now? Thank you, Jesus, for saying something about money. Thank you, even if it's hard to hear, uh, for not leaving this as a blank topic for us to kind of struggle through alone. Would you continue to guide our little community as we journey in this together? We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.